Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Sojourn. Uh, if this is your first time, as Ian says, just grateful that you're here this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Sojourn and would love to meet you if this is your first week or if you've been here coming for a little while. We just haven't had an opportunity to meet. Uh, please feel free to come up after the service or grab me or something to say hello. I uh, would love to, to meet you this morning. Uh, and for those of you that this is your church, always good to see you. I'm glad you're here this morning that we can worship together. Love singing with you guys and now opening up uh, God's Word this morning. So if you need a copy of the Bible, would you just raise your hand? We'll have a couple of people bring a, uh, a copy of the Scriptures around to you just so you can read along uh, with us this morning. Uh, we're jumping back into Matthew chapter 6 today, and so you can go ahead and uh, even flip open to that text. And if you don't actually own a copy of the Scriptures, please feel free to take that with you. It's our gift to you. Uh, we want you to have God's Word. And uh, if you know somebody that needs a copy of the Bible, feel free to take that and give it to them as well. You know, when I was in, uh, in college, I had the joy and privilege of developing some really deep uh, and lasting relationships with, uh, with a few guys. There was uh, six of us that were in a Bible study in college, and if you've been around Sojourn for a while, you've probably heard me talk about them before. We call ourselves the Vandals, and so if you have questions about why we do that, you can come talk to me afterwards. We didn't vandalize anything, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but I graduated from college in 2002, and something that we committed to uh, with one another, even though we'd met our freshman year in college, was to continue to, con- to build those relationships. And so every year, all six of us get back together at least once a year for, for a long weekend together, uh, just to spend time, to catch up, to encourage one another, just to have fun with each other. But all of us are kind of all over the place now. One guy lives down in Alabama, there's a couple of guys in Tennessee, West Virginia, a few of us here in Virginia. And so some of those guys I literally only see once a year when we get together. Maybe talk with them throughout the year, but only actually see them once a year. But you know something that always happens. No matter what, when we get together, we can kind of just pick up right where we left off. It's like a year hasn't gone by. It's like we just hung out last weekend, and we can jump right in and have fun with each other and talk about life and encourage one another and build, continue to build that relationship up with each other. Well, today we are picking up where we left off. We're going to jump back into the Sermon on the Mount. We took a break from that back in August uh, to spend time walking through this series. We just finished last week talking about our freedom in Christ. And so today we're going to jump back into the Sermon on the Mount, just picking up right where we left off. And it's important for us to recognize that we're picking up where we left off because it's a temptation for us as we read these texts in the Sermon on the Mount to kind of disconnect them from the big picture of what's going on. The sermon that Jesus is teaching in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he's talking to us, he's teaching us, he's preaching to his people about the kingdom of God. He's calling us close to him as the king and talking about what does life look like for you and I when we're walking with him and living life in light of the coming kingdom of Jesus. And so when we jump into this text, since it's been a little while, it's important for us to remember that we're picking up where we left off because Everything Jesus has already talked about in Matthew 5 and 6 is really connected into what we're going to look at today in this text. This is Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King, who is talking to us about the important matters of our life and what life looks like in His inverted, upside-down kingdom. We call this series The Inverted Kingdom because Jesus' kingdom looks flipped on its head compared to the false kingdoms that exist all around us. Namely, the little mini-kingdoms that you and I tend to build in our own lives. Where we want to be the king. We want to rule our own lives. And so Jesus' inverted kingdom presses against that. 
We're picking up where we left off because the rest of this sermon from Jesus is absolutely critical for all of us. No matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, if you're walking closely with Jesus, if you're a Christian or you're not yet a Christian, you don't yet know Christ, and you're just maybe checking this whole religious thing out, this Jesus thing out, church out, all of this is important for all of us because he's going to deal with and press on some, some core aspects of our lives and our, our faith and our belief and our hopes and our dreams and our wants and our desires. Today, what we're going to look at, what we're going to see is Jesus is going to speak to an issue of our hearts, an issue of our hearts that manifests itself in our lives. He's going to speak on the area of worry and anxiety. Worry and anxiety as it relates to Life with the king in his kingdom. I mean, worry and anxiety, those are things that all of us deal with at some level in our lives at different points and at different times. And some of us are very acquainted with worry and anxiety. The Atlantic magazine states that more people go to the doctor now for anxiety-related issues than they do the common cold. We, we live in a culture that's just kind of pressing on and drumming up this anxious, these anxious feelings. And I really believe uh, the fact that we live in northern Virginia, this D.C. metro area, it's even worse here. Because the culture we find ourselves in is a culture of, of just this intense impatience and relentlessness. We're, we believe oftentimes or are told that if we, we, if we don't make quick decisions, if we don't take quick action, if we don't have an intense drivenness in our life, then we're not good leaders and we're not going to be successful. We live in a, an area that demands perfection, it demands excellence, and it was due yesterday. And that's kind of the culture we find ourselves in. It manifests itself in all parts of life, in your workplace. When projects are due or deadlines come up, or just for you as you think about your career path, there's worry and anxiety that can start to drum up with that because of this drivenness of our area. It happens in school. I mean, my son Owen's in first grade and already seeing, man, if you're not doing these things, if you're not meeting these benchmarks, you're not performing in this way, then you're not going to be successful. First grade. And some of you are in high school, some of you are in college and grad school, and you feel that pressure. So worry and anxiety comes up. It happens with kids. If you've got kids, you're worried about their behavior. You're worried about their success in life. You're worried that you have to be a perfect mom because everybody else seems to have it all together, but maybe not you. Maybe it's in your marriage or relationships that you have, just unmet and unvoiced expectations that you're looking for a perfect counterpart or you feel like you have to be a perfect counterpart. It even happens in the church. I think because we live in this culture, oftentimes that perfectionism and intensity bleeds into the church where we expect everything to be awesome all the time and nobody ever hurt our feelings or make us upset or mess anything up. See, worry and anxiety, I think, are so common to us that if we walked around the room this morning and said, hey, do you deal with worry and anxiety? A lot of us would be like, no, not me, man. I'm good. Because it's so normal for you. It's such a part of your everyday life, you don't even recognize the fact that you have an anxiousness to your life. And I think sometimes we can buy into the lie and believe that worry and anxiety actually makes us better at what we do. There's one article in the New York Magazine, they interviewed uh, a bunch of different people in the marketplace, and they, one particular person, executive at a PR firm, said this, I use my anxiety to be better at what I do. A certain amount of anxiety makes me a better employee, but a less happy person. And you have to constantly balance that. And then they said this, if I didn't constantly fear, constantly fear, I was about to be fired or outed as a loser, I'm afraid I might be lazy. 
This is a lie, thinking like, well, this is a good thing. It's going to make me a better person. In 2012, there were 50 million prescriptions in America filled for Xanax, an anti-anxiety medicine. Now, let me stop right there. I am not going to be really clear. I am not about to preach a sermon to tell you if you're taking anti-anxiety medicine that you're a terrible person. And I really mean that. I don't want you to hear that. I don't want you to think that's where we're going. My hope for the sermon today is very, very simple. It's very simple. Whether you struggle with worry and anxiety just a little bit or significantly in your life, my hope and desire, what I want you to see and me to see is the goodness and the loving kindness of our God who wants to help you and walk with you in that. Who wants to help you today not to worry about tomorrow. So let's jump into our text. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Verses 25 through 34. It's a longer chunk of text, but Jesus gives us a few illustrations in here. And so I'm going to read all of this text. Remember, this is Jesus speaking to you and to me this morning. He says, starting in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray as we get into God's Word this morning. Father God, we come before you. We give you thanks for your Word. We give you thanks for this preaching, this teaching of Jesus that we get to spend time looking at. And so our prayer this morning is that you just help us. Help us today to open our eyes, to open our ears, to open our hearts, to receive your word this morning. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a healing and restorative work because we're here today listening to your word, receiving your word today. We pray all this in the name of Christ, our King. Amen. Most recently in this teaching that Jesus has been walking through, uh, that we dropped off with at the end of August, Jesus was addressing uh, our hearts around the area of what we treasure. Do we treasure the things of this world or do we treasure God above all things? And he ended the previous section in verse 24 by saying, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so when we get to verse 25, when he says, therefore, it has a direct connection back to what he's just said. So let's look at that and just try to connect the dots on this. He says, therefore, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. This is one of four times through this text that he says, gives basically the same command to his people, is do not be 
anxious. See, at the end of the day, what Jesus is dealing with here is our ambition. Our ambition. What are we going after? What, what are we living for? What are we most giving ourselves to? What is most consuming to our thoughts and our minds? What are we, what are we ambitious? What are we running after? And he's just called us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven and not on earth. And then he says, therefore, if we do that, if we seek to serve God and not the creation, not money or our things or even the pursuit of them, then we should not, we cannot then be anxious. We cannot worry. See, what Jesus is doing here is he's linking our disposition directly to our desires. He's linking our disposition directly to what we most desire And in this case, he causes people not to worry about the basics of life because life is more than the basics. Don't worry about the basics of life. Don't just worry about these little things because there's more to it than this. I mean, what does it mean to be anxious? It means to worry, to be concerned, to to have a nervousness about life, to experience unease, particularly when there's a situation or circumstance that there's an uncertain outcome to it. To be consumed in thought about the future. To be consumed in thought about tomorrow. And so Jesus gives us two examples. He gives two examples to show His people, to show us that we do not need to worry or be anxious about these kinds of things. The first example is in verse 26. He talks about the birds of the air. He says, look around. Look at the birds that are in the air, that are on the trees, that are on the ground. Look at them and see what they're doing. They're alive. And they have food to eat, but they, but they don't fret about planting or reaping or storing up their food in barns, gathering into barns what they need. Now, most of us, if not all of us in this room, are not farmers. And so we don't think oftentimes about having to store up food or planting and sowing and reaping. We don't think about those things, but the point remains. These birds are not freaking out about their provision. Now, don't miss something on here. This is not a call for you to be lazy in life. We can read this like, oh, not being anxious about these things means I can just kind of coast. I don't have to, to, to work hard. No, these birds are working hard. We can go outside right now and watch birds. They're working hard. They're intent on what they're doing, but they're not worried about it. They're trusting in the provision of their God. But his main point in this is not just about birds. He's saying, aren't you more valuable than this? I mean, this is God's creation, these birds and all of the world around. It all gives, God's glory, God gives God glory, but you alone are made in the image of God. So you, as an image bearer of God who reflects God's glory just in your being, does he not care more about you? He goes on then to say, because of that truth, then don't be anxious. He gives a second example, the lilies of the field. He says, look at the lilies, look at the flowers of the field. They aren't freaking out either. They're not worried about their clothing and what they're going to look like. They're not grinding it out day to day so that they can look good. They're not, they're not toiling over their appearance. Now they look really good, but that's because God has clothed them with an innate beauty. If we look at the intricacies of these flowers, you see, man, they're more beautiful, he says, than even Solomon. Solomon, who's one of the richest people in all of history, who had the best clothes that money could make or buy, who looked really good. He says these flowers and their simplicity and their innate beauty that God has created them in are more beautiful in their clothing than even Solomon. But they're not worried about it. Because these flowers, they're just grass. They're going to be cut down. They're going to die. They're going to be burned up and thrown away. His point again is then how much more does your Father care for you then? So he says then, oh, you of little faith. We'll come back to that in a minute. 
But see, what we're seeing here is Jesus is giving basic examples of God meeting basic needs in our life. But this isn't just about food. It isn't just about clothing. It isn't just about eating and drinking. This is about everyday life. Everyday life. The mundane, the regular experiences of your life. Jesus is reminding you that when you come close to the king, God cares about every aspect of your life. All the details, even down to the most basic level. If God cares for the animals and the plants, will he not care for you, his people? His people, who he's called to renounce the things of this world. He's called to walk away from these things, to not put their treasure and your hope in the things of this world, but your hope in God. Will he not care for you in that? And so he says again, therefore, do not be anxious. Do not worry. Do not fret about the basics, about everyday life. And then Jesus drives his point home in verses 31 and 32. He brings in a comparison, which kind of connects all this back to verses 19 through 24. He, he gives an assessment of the world and people in the world and those that are in the kingdom of God. Because the reality for all of us is either we're living for the things of this world or we've been brought into the kingdom of God through Christ. We're in one of those two places. He says the Gentiles is just another word for those that are, that are not yet following Christ, that are non-believers, those that are outside of the kingdom of God, those who have not come close to Jesus. He says they worry about these things. They're caught up in worry and anxiety over everyday life and the uncertainties that come with it because that's where their hope is. The world's hope is in this life. It's in this world. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe if you're really honest with yourself, assessing your own life, you recognize, man, my anxieties and my worries are most related because I, to the things of this world because that's where I'm putting my hope or in the things of this world. But God's kingdom people are now a part of a kingdom that's not of this world, ruled by a king who is not of this world, but instead who made the world out of nothing and called you into existence by the word of his eternal, his eternal word and power. That is the God who cares for you cares about the details of your life. And so as God's kingdom people who have come close to the king, who are seeking to live life with him and for him, Jesus is telling us we can live without worry and anxiety because we have a father who loves us. Simply put, Jesus is trying to tell us this morning, don't be anxious because God is king. Don't worry about your life because God is king. Don't don't be anxious because you are the king's child. You belong to him. Brothers and sisters, our worries cannot, should not sound like the worry of the world if our hope is in Him. And when they do, they indicate a wrong focus, a wrong belief in our life, which is really a matter of our hearts. Back in chapter 5, verse 21, uh, Jesus said, or sorry, chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you're putting your hope is where your heart will be. And those things work with one another. If you imagine a tree, on a fruit tree you have fruit. It could be an apple tree or an orange tree or a peach tree, whatever kind of tree it is. You have the fruit that's on the tree and that's, you're able to see what kind of tree it is based off the fruit that's on it. Anxiety and worry in your life is fruit on your tree. If you imagine you're the tree, what you see in your life, the anxiety, the worry is that fruit on your tree. But in order to root that out of your life, you don't just pick the fruit off the tree and throw it away because it's going to grow back again. You have to get down deeper to the root of why these things are happening in your life, to the core issue. 
See, back in verse 30, Jesus said, oh, you of little faith. And depending on how you hear that, I know some of us could hear that, and it sounds kind of uh, insensitive. Like it's a pejorative statement Jesus is making, that he's sneering at you for being somebody who worries. Oh, you of little faith. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all. I think he's saying this in a gentle and kind way. He's saying, oh, you of little faith. Whether you worry about seemingly little things, petty things, or enormously huge things, he's saying, oh, you of little faith. This is an issue of your heart. It's an issue of your heart. Because see, when we worry or are anxious about a circumstance or situation that's uncertain, maybe it's the basics of life, maybe the outcome of a particular situation, Maybe it's over your kids or your job or your relationships or your health. The reality is our anxiousness is a manifestation of two things, fear and a lack of control. Fear and a lack of control. It's a manifestation of fear because we, we don't know what's going to happen and so we're afraid of what, about what might happen. We have fear over what might happen, what might occur. We, it's a, it's a lack of, an issue of a lack of control because we feel at peace when we can control the outcome. I feel at peace when I'm in control of a situation. I, I've thought about every possible so, outcome or solution to something, and so I feel in control. And when we don't feel that control, we again tend towards fear. I can't control the outcome to a particular situation, so I feel anxious. I feel worried. That starts to rise up within me. But see, an even deeper core issue of our heart when it comes to worry when it manifests itself in fear and lack of control for all of us is the issue of unbelief. Unbelief. See, it all comes back to what we believe about God. Who He is and what He does. Is He good? Does He love me? In the midst of your struggles, when you're not sure what's going to happen tomorrow, you're feeling this anxiousness over even following him and seeking to be obedient to him and pursuing him and not the things of this world, you start to think, maybe the question comes to your mind, does he really give a rip about my life? Does he actually care if my kids sleep at night? Does he care about if I have these things that I need? Does he, does he care about these relationships? Does he, have? does he even give a rip? Because if he did, wouldn't he fix this? If he really cared, wouldn't he provide for me in this way? If he really cared, wouldn't he give me this thing that he knows that I need? So I think all of us are prone to what one pastor calls then syndrome. T-H-E-N, then syndrome. Because we can think or believe in our heads, when I get X, then I will be fill in the blank. I'll be satisfied. I'll be happy. I'll be at peace. I'll be comfortable. I'll have joy. I'll be without worry. When I get whatever that thing is, then, then I'll be able to live for God. Then I'll be able to give Him glory in all of my life. But as Dietrich Bonhoeffer so aptly says, earthly goods deceive the human heart into believing that they give it security and freedom from worry but in truth, they are what causes anxiety. See, you and I can spend so much time and energy on fortifying the castle of our lives, trying to protect ourselves from every possible outcome and situation, but the reality for you and for me is that there's parts of our hearts, parts of our lives that go unguarded. It is impossible for you to protect against every possible situation and outcome. When we start to recognize that, we start to experience freedom in that. 
Because Jesus tells us back in verse 27, who can add a step, who can add an extra foot to an extra second to your life by worrying? It doesn't produce anything good in your life. It doesn't bring about life. It actually crushes it. See, what Jesus is calling His people to is to walk in freedom by living by faith in the goodness and loving kindness of our Heavenly Father who cares for you and by faith in Jesus, our King, who leads us and fights for us. Jesus is calling us to have faith. Man, we all struggle with that. We all struggle with that on a regular basis. We wake up and our flesh rears its head again and we struggle with faith. Is it really worth following Jesus today in this? Does he really care? Is the kingdom really worth it? The loudness of our culture just preaches to us over and over again to tell us, no, it's not worth it. You need to guard and protect your life. So we wake up every day struggling to have faith, believing that following the King of Kings is worth it. See, a lot of times our anxious thoughts and worry are like mud on the windshield of our car. You're driving down the road, and maybe a big truck is coming the other way down the road, and there's a big puddle or something of mud, and that truck barrels through that and splashes mud and dirty water all over your windshield. Not just a little bit, but I mean where you cannot see out of the front of your car. You can't drive any further, and so you start freaking out. You kind of slam on the brakes. You don't know if there's a curve in the road ahead because you can't see anything. That circumstance came at you. You weren't planning on that happening. That truck just happened to pass you right at that moment in time and splash all that mud on your windshield and you just can't see, so you start freaking out. What are you going to do? Maybe for you it's a lost job, a lost friend, a sick child, a bad diagnosis. Maybe you're short on money or you are short on time. Maybe you have kids who won't sleep. Maybe you're just getting pummeled by tests and papers that seem impossible to complete the time you're supposed to complete them. Maybe a relationship that you're in right now is not going the way that you would hope it would. There's difficulty and struggle in that. Maybe you're experiencing attacks by other people. People are slandering you or talking bad about you. There's mud on your eyes. You're disoriented and you swerve around. What are you going to do? What's going on here? Has God abandoned you in that? Where's the king when you need him? Does he care? As one pastor says, when anxiety strikes, it blurs our vision of God's glory and the greatness of the future that he plans for you. That's what anxiety does. It starts to blind you from the goodness and the greatness of the future that God plans for you. But let me step back before I finish this quote. The future he plans for you doesn't mean he's going to make your life comfortable. It doesn't mean he's going to fix everything in in your life. The future he plans for you is to make you more like Jesus and bring you all the way home. This promise of future grace to you. He says, when anxiety strikes and blurs our vision of God's glory and the greatness of the future that he plans for us, this does not mean that we are faithless. Hear that this morning. If you struggle with anxiety and worry, it does not mean that you are faithless or that we will not make it to heaven. It means our faith is being attacked. At first blow, our belief in God's promises may sputter and swerve. But whether we stay on track and make it to the finish line depends on whether we set in motion a process of resistance, whether we fight back against anxiety. See, that's the key. Will you fight back? 
Will you battle unbelief and seek to overcome worry and anxiety by and with the means that God gives to you? Will you turn on the windshield wipers? Will you use the windshield wiper fluid to give you clear vision again to move forward? Because at the end of the day, we will continually come across trouble in this life and concerns will be present in this life. The question isn't, are those things going to happen? It's what are you going to do when they happen? Because they're going to come. They're going to come. This leads to our last few verses and the main application and hope of this text. Jesus says to his people and to you and to me as we come close to him, as we seek to sacrifice and leave the fleeting pleasures and comforts of this world behind to follow him, to put our hope in him, don't be anxious, don't worry, your heavenly father knows all that you need. And then he says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is not calling you to be lazy and unintentional and uncaring about life. He's calling you to focus your attention on the things that God cares most about, namely his glory and your good. See, when we seek first his kingdom, it is a direct assault on us seeking first our kingdom. When we seek to run after him and trust in him and follow him, it it assaults the building up of our own kingdoms. It's the inverted nature of Jesus' inverted kingdom. And so verse 33 is a call to God's people to focus our minds and our hearts and our lives on that which matters most, the king and his kingdom, and making much of him and not us. But let's be careful here not to see this as a quid pro quo relationship. That the more I seek after Jesus and his kingdom, the more I do for him, the more comfortable he'll make my life. The more he'll hook me up. The more he'll give me the girlfriend or the boyfriend or the husband or the wife or the house or the car or the bank account that I so desperately feel like I need. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is God will supply you with everything you need to do his will. To advance his kingdom, to make much of him. He'll work everything for good. But remember what that good is. It's to conform you to the image of Christ, to make you more like Jesus. Continuing to root out the old within you and bring the new. So what that means for you and me is that might come through the path of real suffering. It might come through real trial, real difficulty. See, we need to see, church, that a life with Jesus, a life with following Jesus in a world that is set against Jesus will cause us at times to to feel the temptation to grasp onto, to cling to the temporal instead of the eternal. And we'll we'll, we'll tend back towards that way. Because we might even say things like, but God, I, what I, but I need this particular thing in order to be faithful to you. I, I want to seek your kingdom. I want to seek to make much of you. But if you could just fix this one thing, if you could just give me this one thing, if you could just remove this one thing from my life, then I'll be faithful. I'll do exactly what you want me to do. But see, in those moments, what God is saying to you is, my child, you don't need this particular thing. You need me. You need me. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. So lean on me. So let me ask you, what causes you worry? What keeps you up at night? What makes your heart beat fast in your life right now? We all have worries about one thing or another. For some of us, it's little things. For some of us, we have debilitating anxiety. Some of you have gone or are going through significant things in your life right now. Crisis is in your life right now. And there is a lot of anxiety and worry. And so this is not just me throwing a Christian meme at you. Okay? 
you're in your 20s, you know what a meme is. If you don't, don't worry about it. It's not slapping a Christian saying on a coffee cup for you to look at in the morning when you drink your coffee like everything's going to be better. This is not a pastoral slap on your wrist or time out to tell you, stop it. And I, and I really say that with all sincerity. Because for me in my own life, these past 18 months of my own life have been some of the most significant time in my life where I've experienced massive anxiety and worry. I mean, to the point where there's physical manifestations of it. Sleeplessness, loss of appetite, shaking. I mean, literally where you're sitting there and you're just shaking. Not because you're up in front of a group of people, not because you have to do anything when you're in the quiet of life, shaking. So this is not me talking at you. This is very personal for me too because I've experienced this over this last year and a half in my own life. Is it worth following you, Jesus? Where are you in the midst of these things? But see, what I want to call you to and what I want to call me to this morning is the same thing Jesus is calling us to is to fight, to strive, to do battle with those moments of unbelief in the midst of the challenges we face, no matter how great or how small. I want to call you and call me to grasp on to Jesus, to hold fast to Jesus, knowing that he walked a road of sorrow into the most ultimate and unimaginable pain and suffering with joy set before him because he trusted in the will and the ways of his Father. Remember who's saying this to you. The man, Jesus Christ, who came knowing he would die. At this point, when he's speaking this to his people, the shadow of the cross is already looming large over his life. He had no place to lay his head. He was a man acquainted with grief. Which means that you and I can take every care and concern we have to our Lord and King because he knows the feelings of uncertainty, because he endured, because he did so for your sake. Jesus went to a cross for your anxious thoughts and worry. Jesus rose again from the grave to give you peace. Because we have to understand that our greatest need in this life has been met fully in him. So let me stop here for a second. Just speak to those of you that don't yet know Christ. Jesus offers you real peace. He offers you real peace and love. Apart from him, you're lost. But rescue and healing and forgiveness and reconciliation to God comes in and through Him alone. And so if you don't yet know Christ, would you lay down your worry, lay down your anxiety of having to perform in a certain way and come to Him to receive that peace? See, church, the gospel is a continual reminder to you and to me in the midst of the struggles of life that God is faithful, that He is faithful to His plans and His purposes. To be Free from worry does not mean to be free from trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. In this life, you will face uncertainty. But Jesus says to you and to me, take heart, for I have overcome the world. So seek him. Seek his kingdom. Seek his ways. It's only possible for a person to not have worry, to not have anxiety in the midst of life if we're rooted in the King and His kingdom, the crucified and risen King. This isn't pragmatism of you just to get up tomorrow morning and say, today I'm not going to worry. This is about gritting your teeth and bearing up on your own. You can't do that. So what does it look like for us then to fight the fight of faith? I want to give us three things to wrap up our time. How do we fight this fight of faith? The first thing we need to do is we do it with His Spirit. 
We cannot do this on our own strength and ability. We need God's grace. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray. We pray. We bring our anxious thoughts and worries before God over and over and over again. And we ask for help of the Spirit to have faith over and over and over again to clean our windshield, to clean the mud off of our eyes that are blinding us, to have peace. In Philippians chapter 4, 5 and 7, 5 through 7, he says, The Lord is at hand. Jesus is king. He's sitting on the throne. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We come before him with our anxious thoughts. We come before him with our worry over and over again. He never gets tired of you coming to him with that. The Spirit never runs out on you with those things. He's not like on a, on a, there's not like a meter. Like you've used enough Holy Spirit this week with your anxiety. Sorry, come back next week. No, he's always there ready for you to come to lay those things before him. And he seeks to give you peace that passes understanding. Passes understanding. You may not understand it, but he can give you peace in those moments. But what if we do if we don't know what to actually pray about? What if we feel anxiety and worry and we don't even know what we're anxious or worried about? Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Do you get what He's saying there? God has you covered. He has you covered, so come to Him. Come to Him and acknowledge, Lord, I don't know what's going on. I just feel this way. I'm not trusting You right now. I feel anxiety. I feel worry. Holy Spirit, will You help me? Will You intercede for me? He's given you the Spirit to help you fight the fight of faith today to lay down your worry and anxiety. We also fight with His Word. When we're struggling with worry and anxiety and fear, trying to seek Jesus, trying to seek His kingdom, we have to come back to the promises of God and the gospel found in His Word. In His Word, we find truths that bring peace, that help us walk by faith. One of my favorite places to go back to over and over again when I'm struggling with worry and following Jesus is Colossians chapter 1, 15-17. Here the Apostle, says, the Apostle Paul says, talking about Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And then catch this, He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. Do you get that? That's the King that Jesus, He's calling us to Himself to come close to Him, the One who created everything, that through Him everything was created. He holds your life together. He goes before you in all things. Jesus is not uncertain about your future. But I have to go back to God's Word to remind myself to that, to fight for that faith, to continue to lay down my worry and my anxiety and to come close to the King. We're reminded of 2 Corinthians 12, 9 when we're feeling weak, when Jesus says to you there, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Church, it's okay to be weak. It's okay to be weak. Don't let our culture and our world tell you that if you're weak, then you can't succeed in life. It's okay to be weak. Jesus uses the weak and the broken to do amazing things. We can be reminded of 1 Peter 5, 7 when he says, cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
See, in God's word, we can go from beginning to end of God's word and see over and over and over again when things seem the darkest. When Joseph is sitting in a prison cell for some two years in the middle of that prison sentence for something he didn't do wrong. When Jesus is walking in the garden before he's going to be crucified, when he's there on the cross, when his disciples are sitting in that upper room in between his death and his resurrection, when things seem dark, when Paul isn't sure if he's going to get out of prison or not, when things seem the darkest, the thing that's always true is God is still at work. We see it over and over again, and nothing has changed with that. This is not to slap Bible verses on your troubles but to remember that God's word is living and active. It nourishes your soul. It it washes over your wounds. It helps you to refocus and bring renewal, and it helps to interpret the reality of your life. It's a reminder that God has you in his hands. He really does. If you're familiar with the story of Mary and Martha, Jesus comes to them to spend time with them, and Martha is anxious. She's worried. Things aren't going right. She's trying to impress the people there to do the right things, to have an awesome party, and she's just toiling. She's anxious. But what is Mary doing? She's sitting at Jesus' feet, and Jesus commends her for that. See, when we come and fight the fight of faith with his spirit and with his word, we're coming to sit at his feet. We're coming just to say, I I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how to handle this situation, but come and sit at his feet. And you're going to have to do that today, and you have to do that tomorrow, and you have to do that the next day. Because all those things are going to continue to drum up in your life. So we fight the fight of faith with His Spirit. We fight the fight of faith with His Word. And lastly, we fight for faith with His people. And church, would you let people in? Let people into your life. Let them into your anxiety. Let them carry you. Let them encourage you and remind you that your Father loves you and cares for you. Let them read God's Word to you. Let them read God's Word over you. Let them lay hands on you and pray for you. Send a text. Make a phone call. Ask someone to coffee and be honest. Tell them that there's anxiousness in your life that you're battling unbelief and you need someone. You need them to fight with you and you for them. Because we are all worriers at some level. There is no shame in struggling with this. But let people fight the fight for faith with you. Because all of us at some level desire to be in control. And all of us at some level tend towards fear. But let's fight together. Let's fight together. So I think too many of us are trying to be the captains of our own ships. And it's exhausting. Because when you're the captain of the ship, you have to be always attentive, always looking for the rocks that are ahead of you, especially in the midst of the storm. You're always having to be on to do those kinds of things, and that's exhausting. But when you and I let the true captain, the true maker of the ship of our life be the one that's steering it, we can trust in him, we can rest in him, and strive to be faithful in the midst of the storm, knowing that he's leading and guiding us. Jesus closes this section in verse 34. He says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is not some tongue-in-cheek quip. It's an honest reality. It's just reminding us that the fight of faith is a daily thing. Because we're going to wake up each morning and need to keep fighting because the world and our flesh will keep calling us to worry about tomorrow. But as one pastor says, worry will not destroy tomorrow's trials, but it will sabotage your strength. 
So today, find your strength and your peace in your crucified and risen King and fight for faith with His Spirit, with His Word, and with His people. We don't always know what God is up to in our life in any particular moment. We don't know what He's up to when we're out of work, when we're struggling at work, when our kids are misbehaving or waking up over and over again in the middle of the night, when we're struggling to get pregnant, when we love someone who's sick or we're experiencing sickness in our own life. We don't know always what God is up to, but what we do know is Him. Him who goes before us and is with us in all things. And in that we have peace. In that we have rest. We're going to come to the communion table now. And we're going to take communion as we do every week. And we we eat this meal every week together to remind us of the gospel and to refresh our souls. It's the the first application from the preaching of God's word. It's the first action you can take after receiving and hearing God's word preached. And so today, brothers and sisters, lay down your burden for today. Lay down your worry for today. Lay down your anxiety and your fear today and come forward to eat the bread and drink the cup knowing that Jesus wins that his kingdom has come and will come. Come forward and lay that down. Grasp onto Jesus in this meal today, knowing that his body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. And then I want us to stand up and sing for joy. Sing for faith. This week I was reading in the Psalms, and I read Psalm 59, verses 16 and 17 say this, but I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Sojourn, he loves you. He has you. He is your refuge. He is your strength. The King has come, and He will come again. So let's celebrate through communion and continue to worship together through song. And those of you that are not followers of Christ, I just ask you not to come forward to take communion because this bread and the cup don't give you that peace. They don't take away that anxiety. It's Jesus who does that. And so if you don't yet know Christ, this isn't going to be a means of grace for you. We want you to take Christ first. And so if you don't yet know Christ, but you are walking through life with worry, trying to earn something, to find your identity in those things. Would you lay those things down today and turn to Jesus today? Place your faith in Christ today, believing that he lived for you, died for you, and rose again for you. And if you have questions about what that means or what that looks like, please come talk to me or any of our other leaders or whoever brought you to gather with us this morning. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or to the back. Tear off a piece of bread. Take one of the small cups to drink. And listen to the words of your brothers and sisters this morning speaking peace over you in what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and I just pray for every person in this room this morning that you would bring freedom, that you would free us, that you would help us to fight for faith on a daily basis. Because today, we have troubles. And so we want to lay those down at your feet today. But we know tomorrow we'll have troubles again. So help us to fight for faith tomorrow to lay those troubles down. Minister to us with your spirit. Minister to us with your word. And minister to us in and through your people. Help us to seek you. Help us to seek your kingdom. And to live to make much of you. Knowing that it is worth following you in every part of our lives. 
Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, our crucified and risen King. We love you. We need you. We're desperate for you. We praise you that you are faithful and you are good and you are gracious and you are kind. Help us to rest in that today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.